The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox is here along with Jay Llewellyn from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Jay. Morning. We're all in our little, all on our screen still. So yeah, that's so. Uh, yeah. Interesting this week, Don, uh, obviously the throne speech came down and uh, I, I guess not a lot in there, uh, despite spending over $600 million uh, in an election. Uh, but there was lots yeah. of chat afterwards about inflation and inflation and inflation. And there wasn't really anything there to address it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's almost like this. Uh, it's there. It's the elephant in the room. And it's almost something they don't want to really discuss. Yeah, they said it was temporary at first. Now it's like, okay, it may not be temporary. We talked about this in the last few shows that, um, you know, the supply chain is already, it's, it's been impacted. So when there's a large demand and not enough supply, prices go up. That's just economics 101. And also economics 101 is if you throw a ton of money into the economy, both everywhere in the world, um, it increases the money supply, so people will spend more, which again drives prices up. So actually, I'll be ta- I'll be talking about uh, that uh, in my later on in the show. But uh, talk about inflation. I guess Christmas is around the corner here, and uh, maybe those Christmas uh, presents might cost a little bit more. Jay, yeah, are yeah, we spend- Are we going to spend more money, Jay? Yeah, great segue. That's that's it. You know, like this year is not going to be any different than in any other year when people are spending money as they always do. People get caught up into the the Christmas spirit, which is is a good thing, and it's it's fun to spend money and give people presents and and make your make your your loved ones happy. But it's not all about the presents. It's you know, it's a giving giving is is part of it. But um, you know, this year won't be that different in that respect. But it will be different. Like Don was mentioning, the the supply chain has really changed the way. We're, we're spending our money and, and what's the cost of good, goods going up um, with the inflation, supply chain issues. Um, you might end up buying something that you didn't really want because the thing that you did want isn't on the shelf. Um, so you, you end up purchasing something that wasn't really in the plan. And that's, that's kind of where I'm going to go with this today is talk about planning for Christmas spending. A lot of people just go out and start sp- spending and buying gifts for their kids or, or, or loved ones. And it, it really isn't a, there's not a roadmap. And just like we do with a, a financial plan for retirement, you really need to do a small little mini plan for your Christmas spending because it's a it's a big nugget of, of your budget for, for a lot of people. So I uh, just want to share like maybe like a top 10 list of, of what's what's the best way to save money during during Christmas and 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 anytime really, but putting a budget in place is uh, is definitely something you want to do. So the ver- very first thing, because this is a financial planning show, is to to plan how you're going to spend your money. Um, like I said, you, you, it's the number one thing. You have to set a realistic budget and, and a list of, of who you're going to buy gifts for. And, and a lot of people write lists of, of what they're going to buy and who they're going to buy for, but they don't put a budget in place. So putting a name down, putting the gift down and putting the price down kind of gives you a roadmap of what, what you're going to spend. Tally it all up and say, is this within my budget? You know, you've got 10 people to buy for, coworkers, family, friends, things like that. Um, And if you don't have a a detailed list of how much you're going to spend, you can really get it. It can really get out of control. I noticed a lot of people come in January 
and they've got it's almost called the the Christmas hangover in January when you get your credit card bill. So uh, we don't want that Christmas hangover lasting past uh, past New Year's and into uh, in the middle of the month in January. So plan plan before you spend. Make that list number one for sure. Number two is sticking to the budget. Um, big budget or small budget. Some people spend a ton at Christmas. Some people don't spend anything or very little. And adhering to that budget that you want to spend uh, or or put on uh, on your on your wish list or, or make that list, you can track it in an app. There's lots of things on these iPhones now that you can you can put an app together that keeps your keeps your budget in check. Or just an old fashioned notebook or a piece of paper. Just write it down and make sure you stick to it. Um, the other thing is watch and review your bank statements and credit card statements. So at this time of year, if you're looking at it, it's kind of a slap in the face. If you've looked at it before before too long and, and things are getting out of hand, it's, it's best to just keep an eye on that. The other thing you want to do with your credit cards this time of year is, is keep, keep an eye on it from fraudsters. Yeah, uh, yeah. This is a great, this is a great time of year for fraudsters mm-hmm. to take advantage of people. And there's lots of scams this time of year. And if you're not keeping an eye on your bank account, your credit card statements, you can really get uh, wake up to a surprise. And, and, and that's a, that's a great idea, Jay, to periodically just go back and check that balance. We've all got uh, online banking now and see what you're doing. And perhaps you may feel that you've been, uh, been a victim of fraud once you realize how much you've actually spent. That's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm going to use as an excuse this year. I think that's yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, the number four thing, or one of the other points, is uh, avoid the buy now and pay later. Um, it's it's very tempting for people to get into a situation where they can just defer payments. Um, it can really put you in an unmanageable position, not just with the payments, but outrageous interest rates if you haven't paid on time, so that, or service charges. So that that can really be a, a, a hindrance to your to your Christmas spending. Um, Look for sales, purchase early. So looking for things that are on sale now, don't wait till the 23rd of December, like I usually do to buy gifts for everyone. Um, if you can if you can find a sale now um, and keep your eye on it. And if if you buy it now and then it goes on sale even cheaper before the, the end of the deadline or before Christmas, a lot of retailers will honor that and refund the difference back to you. So retailers are being very uh, accommodating during this time as well. And, and it is actually uh, American Thanksgiving this weekend. Yeah, yeah. And so you are seeing, though, the Canadians have definitely picked up on that, as we all know, and you're seeing a lot of the sales now on the Canadian side. So you don't have to cross the border to shop, which nobody actually hardly is doing anyway, but they are still having a lot of uh, you know, Black Friday sales, uh, which goes right through the weekend and often last another week. So yes, it's a good time to kind of get ready for Christmas right now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I just find that a lot of people, if they do do that, that pre-planning and, and get that plan in place and know what they're going to buy, they can keep their eye on it all year long, especially if it's a special gift for someone you can yeah. find some good deals throughout the year. Um, one thing that people don't think about is planning for meals and, and gatherings. Um, you can spend a, a fortune on a, on a Christmas dinner or a New Year's party or something like that with with your, your different quantities of food and drink that it's tough to know how much you're going to have. And you don't want to run out of food, but you also don't want to throw pounds of food out um, that go wasted into the green bin. And, and you're left with, you know, a, a big bill where a lot of food just got thrown out. And, you know, and you got to think about uh, food banks and things like that this time of year. And just don't be wasteful when it comes to, to food and family gatherings. It's nice to put on a big spread, but, but be a little bit mindful of your budget as well on what you want to spend and, and putting a meal plan in place for the holidays. 
Um, I just find that, you know, the fridge gets full over the holidays, full of all kinds of leftovers, and sometimes they get pushed to the back and you, you don't finish them. So um, you really want to be mindful of, a, uh, you don't want to have a budget breaker from, from throwing a couple parties. Um, use your reward programs. Uh, if you've got points, there's, that's a great way to buy gifts for people. They have a lot of discounts this time of year with your reward points. So you build up all these points throughout the year, buying gasoline or, or whatever you're doing. And you got thousands of dollars or hundreds of dollars sitting in these reward points that you forget to use. This is a great time to use that. It'll soften the budget for, for Christmas spending. And, and you don't, you don't feel the blow as much come January. You know, that's a great point, Jay. The, mm -hmm. um, you know, these points just kind of accumulate and they're hidden and it's like money in the bank really truly is it's earning 0% and it's, and you can use them for so many things now. And since we haven't been really traveling for a couple of years, they've really accumulated in the past. People often saved them for vacations, but now it's like, Oh, like you said, there could be a thousand or more than that of dollars mm -hmm. sitting in these. And they, and I, I know I, one of my credit cards that actually says, use it for these. They're trying to get me to use my points now. Yeah. So I actually yeah. have to look into it and say, okay, well maybe I'll use these for Christmas. So absolutely. It's a great idea. Yeah, uh, in conjunction with that gift card. So if you've got gift cards that you've been given throughout the years that you, you just sit in a drawer and, and you forget about them, it's a, it's a great way to, to, to augment some of the spending during Christmas as well. So gift cards, millions of dollars in gift cards every year um, are lost or misplaced. And that's what retailers are banking on that, that you're going to lose those things. So, or even or even in many cases, if it's like a, a $50 gift card and you only use $30 of it, you put it away and you forget that there's still 20 bucks on it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So go through your go through your drawers, your junk drawers or your, oh. your armrest in your car and look for those, those <laughs> gift cards. And oh. whatever you've got, that's a great way to spend some of your some of your Christmas spending. And again, it could, like you said, Scott, it could cover half the bill or some of the bill. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be the whole thing, but use it up. Use them up. Um, th those restaurant ones where people haven't been to restaurants for some people haven't been for since the yeah. pandemic they've mm -hmm. been hidden somewhere now you can just find them because yeah they're yeah. those uh i know personally i just used one uh just last week and I, my wife had to tell me where it was i didn't it was yeah. given to me over a year ago yeah yes the stereotypical uh re-gifting too you can always re-gift those gift cards. <laughs> true enough <laughs> uh what for delivery charges so delivery charges if you're waiting till the last minute the, these online shopping companies have a lot of hidden fees in the delivery charges. So it says free delivery if you've, if you've ordered by a certain time, but if you're looking for a rush delivery, you can really get out of hand if you're buying 10 or 15 gifts and it's you know, 10 or $15 for the delivery charge on each one of these, that can, that can really blow the budget as well. So I really look at that. Um, I purchased something online the other day and I thought it was a good deal and I got the delivery charge and it was more than when I actually paid for the product. So oh, no. yeah, you gotta, you gotta really watch. And I actually clicked the button that said free delivery only. And for some reason I got charged delivery charges. So yeah, I, I try and be budget conscious, but even I get victim of that sometimes. And then the last thing I would say would be uh, resist pop-ups or, you know, retail marketing stuff pops on our screens all the time with all these algorithms that are out there. And um, you know, it's, it's very convenient just to click and, and buy and not do your homework and shop around because just because it's popped up on your screen doesn't mean it's the best price. Um, you know, you go into Costco and you look at all the fancy things in that front, when you walk into the front 
uh, entranceway there and it looks so tempting just to buy it. It's gratifying because you bought something and it's quick and it's easy and you think you got a deal, but really do your homework. Uh, don't just pull the trigger on something before, before you do your homework. And yeah, most, of all, most of all, the bottom line, I think, is just create, create yourself a list, a well-thought-out plan, just like your retirement, uh, Christmas plan, the same thing. Don't, don't do anything different. There's a reason why they stock that aisle between you and the cash register with all kinds of tempting things to buy. It's amazing how just in the last 30 seconds you can purchase so much. <laughs> uh, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Don Fox, Jay Llewellyn here from Fox Group. Uh, private wealth management donfox.net to find out more and you can call them at ig private wealth management at 905-972-7420 gonna pause for a break here we're coming right back you're listening to a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 chml we are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more about them at donfox.net or you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. All right, Don, it's the end of the year and we know what that means. It's time to uh, cross your T's and dot your I's financially. Uh, what is some year-end uh, tax strategy we should be eyeing at this point? Yes, and I, I've created a list here for year and tax strategies for seniors. And, and a quick story here, I, I had a chance to take my mother to a movie for the first time in, oh, I guess uh, before the pandemic, so we're going over a couple of years. She is a huge Venus and Serena Williams fan. Massive uh, fan, always has been, has followed her forever. And you've probably heard, Scott, they've uh, got a movie out now called King yeah, Richard, yeah, which is all about mainly the upbringing of these and particularly the father, the father and of course yeah. the mother played a big role in this but richard i guess was his name and uh excellent movie worth seeing everybody but what it had it had this sign that he kept putting up and i don't want to blow for all the listeners up there so but I, i'll just tell you this one part the it, it had this one sign which is kind of an old saying but he put it up at the tennis court all the time it says if you fail to plan you plan to fail hmm. and this goes so much again. Here's what I got out of this movie. I got to make sure I tell all the listeners this is this goes with financial planning too, okay? And Christmas planning, as Jay just mentioned. Again, if you if you plan if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Which in our case, Christmas planning means you'll overspend. In tax planning, it means you'll pay unnecessary tax because you failed to plan. And we're all about planning. So the year in tax strategies help seniors is, and we're doing this a ton right now is to go through all your incomes, go through all your income sources. If you're a senior or senior, basically not working, let's say even if you retired early, go through your income, such as Canada Pension Plan, if you're collecting it, old age security. If you have RIF income, pension income, go through all what you had last year, an interest income, dividend income, and capital gains. Often it's similar the following year, unless there is some major change in your situation over the past year. But it really comes down to trying to get your income to two levels. And that is either 45000 which keeps you in that 20% tax bracket, or 80000 which keeps you in the 30% bracket and also avoids old age security clawback. So those are those, are those key numbers that you want to get your income to. And, and how to get your income to that is use your RSP money. You've been saving this. And I always look at this as, 
instead of calling it retirement savings plan, call it an income deferral plan. Because if it was simply defer, defer tax, people say, oh, well, I'm going to defer it to a lower tax bracket. Well, if you're in a lower bracket now, here's an opportunity because we all want to avoid, and I again, this is where if you fail to plan, you might end up paying 53.53% tax on your RSP money. So this is where planning is huge and can basically guarantee you um, to save money in income tax. Now, contribute to that spousal RSP. Now, again, it comes down to, you know, is your spouse in a lower tax bracket than you? Will she be at retirement? Um, so that's always, there is income splitting at retirement. As we all know, you can income split your RIF between you and your spouse after your age 65. But there is still a lot of opportunities to put money into a spousal RSP. If your spouse is uh, perhaps not working or making far less, that that person can start drawing on and take the minimum out of the RSP in a form of a spousal RIF. And therefore, even though you're still working, and she or he may still be working, you can get extra income coming out of this at a lower tax bracket. So a, a great opportunity to contribute to a spousal RSP. The other side of it is you can still contribute to a spousal RSP, even though you are now unable to contribute to your own RSP because you're because of your age. Once you're over the age of 71, December, January 1st, the year you, that would be the year you turn 72, you can no longer contribute to an RSP in your name. But if you did some really good marriage planning back then and got and had a younger spouse, you can still contribute to his or her. And therefore, uh, let's say, you know, she's, he or she is a couple years younger, you can still contribute to a spousal RSP if it makes sense. I'm finding there's a lot of uh, seniors continuing to work right now into their 70s. And they're still got a high income. And if their husband or wife is, a, of, is younger, it still allows you to contribute to a spousal RSP. So it's again, case by case. And again, this is why financial planning in general is custom made. There's no one size fit all, fits all, but I, I would like to suggest that you should look at this and, and see if any of these affect you. Uh, if again, uh, your own situation, make sure you contribute to your own RSP. It might or may or may not make sense. If you had a, a balloon year, for example, you had a, a one-time capital gain, you sold your cottage, you sold a, you know, cryptocurrency because it was so high, who knows what you sold, and you had this massive capital gain. Well, you may not have contributed to an RSP because your income was you know, kind of stuck in that 20% tax bracket. It made no sense for you to contribute to an RSP because you're in a low bracket. But then you saved up all that RSP room and... You, you now can use that room while you're in this one-time high tax bracket. Great opportunity. I also just had a, a firefighter retire. And you now they get a, all the sick day benefits paid out in one year at the end as a retiring allowance. So we have been planning this for the last 15 years that we're not going to contribute to his RSP. We're going to save all this and then use that retiring allowance to contribute to his RSP in the year of retirement. So he had all this RSP room that we didn't touch for all these years. And now his income was going to be very high because he had the whole salary of being a firefighter plus this retiring allowance that would have had his income well into the 43% tax bracket. He got to take all that and move it into an RSP. And again, that saved a tremendous amount of income tax, but it took a decade of planning to do it or more actually in this case. That's a great point, Don. You know, you look at uh, police officers, firefighters, 
um, when they're retiring to get these big retiring allowances, a lot of them were recommending that they they retire in the, the beginning of the year so they don't have all their income for the year. And then they get this retiring allowance. If they wait till the end of the year, they retire in December, they've got their income for the whole year. Then they've got the retiring allowance. So exactly. if, they if they haven't planned with the ability to roll some of it into their RSPs, um, that's a big tax tax you know, tax bomb, I guess you could say. Yeah, it really is a tax bomb because they're only going to hit that income level for that one time in their life. Mm -hmm. You know, they're making, let's say, 100000 a year. And then for that one year, they're making 150000 because they had a $50,000 retirement allowance. Yeah. So great opportunity for them to move that funds. And again, this is where having proper financial planning makes all the difference in the world. Because I, you know, you see some of them and they think, oh, I'm doing all the right things. I'm contributing to my RSP all along the way. Well, it actually came back would bite them in the end because they weren't able to use that retiring allowance to fill up their RSP in the final year. So again, comes down to financial planning and some tax planning. And again, going back to King Richard, you know, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And again, it happens so much with tax planning. Um, and so converting a RIF. Now, I mentioned in the last show about starting your RIF early, um, say at 65, if you haven't, if you have no other pension, and you qualify for that pension credit, which is $2,000 pension credit per year. It saves you about $438 a year in tax. But again, every dollar matters. Well, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, if I found a way to save 438 bucks, I'd take it. Hmm. And there's so many people that aren't getting that pension credit of 2000 and yet they've got all this money in an RSP. They just haven't converted it to a RIF. Well, what one kind of small tip is a lot of people don't realize you don't have to convert the whole thing to a RIF. So what we often do, and Jay and our whole team do all the time, is let's just move twenty thousand or thirty thousand to a from the RSP to a RIF, and we'll pay out two thousand dollars a year from that. And so the RSP is still intact, and it's growing, but they're pulling out two thousand a year out of the RIF, and it's coming out basically tax free, or at least at a very low tax bracket. If um, because of the tax credit, um, yeah, the going back to that, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Man. Yeah, the misconception with a lot of people, they think oh, they got to move it to a RIF that they're going to get all this income start pouring out of the out of the RSPs, and you can turn that tap off and on kind of by only moving a portion of it into the RIF. So I think it's a great strategy to to help people get that two thousand dollar tax tax credit, and then um, you know when they hit their their seventy second year, they they have to move it all in, but it, at least you drain some of it down. Um, tax efficiently before that. So it's a great way yeah. to do it. No, for sure. And then and we, we have a lot of clients that'll have an RSP in a RIF in their account. And it, it seems strange to see, oh, he's got 30,000 in a RIF and 500,000 in the RSP, but that's what reason we're doing it. Um, Based those RIF payments on the younger spouse. So when you set up your RIF and you are whatever age, but let's say you are now uh, 71 and you have to convert it to a RIF, you have that option. So again, going back, to that marriage planning of uh, uh, marriage slash tax planning of having a younger spouse, here's another option. You get to pick the younger spouse. And I know a lot of institutions, um, for one, sometimes they, they will have uh, one spouse will be at one institution, won't be at the other. They don't even know the ages. So they don't really know. And, and they often just go to the default that you automatically set up the RIF to the young, to the whoever's setting up the RIF. And in this case, let's say you're 72, but your spouse is 65. Well, if you had $500,000, that's 
the minimum payment at 72 is 5.4%. So you have no choice but to take out $27,000 that year. Now, let's say your wife in, in this example is 65. Well, at 65, if you based it on her age, you'd only have to take out 4%. And so that's only $20,000 you have to pull out. So there's a difference of how much you have to pull out of $7,000. Now, that may be the difference of old age security clawback. So you don't have to pay as much. Well, 15% of $7,000, again, it all adds up, but that's another $1,050 of old age security clawback that you wouldn't get. You would not, you'd, you'd get $1,050 less of old age security that year by having that extra $7,000 of RIF income. So again, extremely important to know this um, and, and tell your, your financial planner I want it based on the younger spouse because it is one of those kind of pet peeves I have because I think it's just an automatic and people aren't asking that question. So uh, number six is simply to have safe income producing investments, things that pay interest, rent, dividends inside your tax-free savings account, RSP or RIF. Have them in the registered investments and have all the capital gain bearing investments outside of your registered ones. So they would be, you know, things that are earning capital gains, your more aggressive investments, have those in the non-registered paying capital gains. Now, a big one is dividend income. People love dividend income. They feel they're not paying that much tax on it. And it's true, you get this dividend tax credit and I am a big fan of dividend income. Where it comes to kind of, you know, kick in the shins is if you are already at the OAS clawback threshold, you get what's called a 38% gross up on dividends. And so let's say you had $200,000 and you had it in some Bell Canada shares that you used to work at Bell and you got all these shares and you kind of collected this Bell Canada over the years and it pays 5% dividend. Well, that would be $10,000 in dividends that you would receive. Everybody's happy about that. Oh, I get this dividend check every quarter, 2,500 a quarter, this is great. However, on the tax return, it ends up showing a gross up of $3,800. Well, that $3,800 is added to your income, but it's taken off in a dividend tax credit. But the problem is it's added to your, it ends up adding to your net income, is, which is where your old age security is based on. So you end up losing $570 of old age security in this example, simply on this gross up. Now, this isn't even real money. You didn't receive any of this 3,800. It's just a fictitious multiplication of 1.388. So a 38% gross up. You don't get this money. It's, it's, just a, it's just a calculation. So it ends up being a bit of a rip that you you're, you're end up losing old age security for money you don't even receive. So that's a big one. And this is why dividend income, it's so good to have inside. Again, if you were in that situation, inside RSPs, RIFs, or TFSAs. Um, splitting your pensions. This is pretty much done at the tax level. Um, but again, as uh, Jay and I were just talking about the RIFs, we can split, start splitting RIFs at 65. So, you know, don't just defer it forever. It might make sense to have your RIF fully kick in at 65 to try to get two spouses earning 40000 a year. That's a great place to be, by the way, or 45000 a year, actually, because you're at the lowest tax bracket. Um, and again, there's a whole area, if you're still working, as we talked about, a lot of seniors are working now 65 and past their 70, 70 and, and a lot of them automatically are 
collecting their old age security because they just started it. They didn't know you can defer it. You can defer your old age security until you're 70. And it's 0.6 per month difference by deferring it. Well, it might make sense because if you're earning, say, 160000 a year, you have a great job. And quite often in later years, you're making a lot of money. Why would you want your old age security just for them to claw it all back again? So at least you can defer it and then collect the old age security um, when you do retire. And by the way, you also get a bump up. So you'd actually end up with, if you, re, if you retired at 70, you'd end up with a 36% increase in your old age security. Well, that's not a bad deal. Instead of getting 613 a month, you'll end up with 834 a month. You know, that's a, a sizable amount. It's about $2,700 per year more by waiting. But more importantly, you didn't get it clawed back in the first place. So you weren't going to get it earlier anyway because of your income. So this way you're going to get it and you're going to get more. So those are the top tips for your seniors. So I hope some of those resonated and, and save you a little bit of tax and make again, we, we don't want you to plan. We want you to plan so that you don't fail. And it comes down to good old King Richard. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905-972-7420. Going to stop for a break here. We're coming right back. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. In the news recently, obviously due to uh, the global pandemic and such, lots of chatter about long-term care. Uh, You want to talk about facilities, Jay? Yeah, I'm going to touch on facilities, going to touch on uh, what we do to to plan for those facilities. But it was interesting. I was reading an article in the Globe and Mail yesterday, and it was talking about this gentleman that had spent over a million dollars for in-home care for his wife who had dementia for that lived for 10 years. So those 10 years cost him over a million dollars to keep her in the home. They wanted he wanted to keep her in a home. He didn't feel comfortable putting his wife into a into a facility, a, a government-run facility or a private facility. And it cost him a million bucks. And I started to think about our clients that we have. And I remembered a client that uh, he just passed away not too long ago, but the wife had put him into a, into a long-term care facility and it was costing them about 11,000 a month. And I did the math and that would have been over a million dollars if he would have lasted for 10 years in the facility. Unfortunately, he passed and it was, it was about three years he was in the facility. And that's actually about the length of time or the average length of time someone spends in a facility. So they spent over, over 300 grand of their retirement nest egg, um, inheritance, things like that, that they had received over those three years. So I think $300,000 is a lot of money. You know, Don was talking about RSPs and the, the taxation on RSPs. And you think about how much you have to pull out of your RSPs in order to get that $300,000. So there's, there's lots of people that don't really think about those things. And the other thing is you got to think about is if you, if you've got a spouse in a, in a retirement home or in a nursing care facility and you're still, and the other spouse is still in the family home, there's those expenses as well. Like those expenses yeah. will go away. 
So you've got double duty while you're, you're paying for a facility. So you've got two homes you're running basically. And, and the downside is that, you know, if you've got a spouse that's coming to visit you in the home um, and spending a lot of time there, the housing duties are also getting neglected. So now you've got costs that you've got to pay people to do cut the grass or, or shovel the walk or do the painting or whatever it is. So there's costs on top of costs and on top of costs during this process. And if you're not planning properly for it and, and you, you can't plan for everything, but you know, Don and I, we, we put together these financial plans and we have a lot of what if scenarios. So what if you do become disabled? What if you do have to go into a home at a certain point? So when we're looking at those, we, we incorporate those into the, the financial plan. Now there's different things out there that you can do. You can use your, your money that you have and, and, and put it towards uh, the cost of care. And that will definitely drain your, your finances, but who doesn't want to be taken care of in their, in their, in their latter years the best that they can, especially if you have the money. What a lot of the people are doing is they're not able to get into homes. There's, there's a lot of wait lists that are out there. So people are retrofitting their own homes using funds and retrofitting their homes, you know, putting in ramps, things like that, different st stability devices in their, in their bathrooms and things like that, or hiring around the clock care. And all of these things cost a ton of money. And, and again, you want to be as comfortable as possible in your, in your later years. Um, so there's something out there now that they have, it's, it's called long-term care coverage. And this coverage allows you to buy coverage in the event that something does happen. So if you're not able to do two of the six daily functions, so you're not able to feed yourself, not able to, to bathe yourself, dress yourself, go to the bathroom, get out of bed, um, the daily functions of living. If you're not able to do two of those daily functions, this coverage kicks in and pays out uh, a benefit to have coverage in your home or in a facility. Now, again, the trend is that with the pandemic, a lot of people are a little scared to go into these facilities. So in-home care is becoming more and more popular. Um, you know, moving, moving a hospital bed into the office or something like that. So these costs are there. So this coverage um, allows people to, to have that ability to not drain on their retirement savings, not drain down on, on, on a mortgage or something like that and go into debt. It pays out a lump sum benefit or, or a monthly benefit, depending on what type of coverage you have. And it's interesting, in, in Japan about, uh, about 20 years ago or 21 years ago, they made it mandatory that everyone in the population over the age of 40 has this coverage. So they have to pay for this coverage, part of their, part of their taxes, part of their social programs, where they have to pay into this. And at any time after 65, if, you, if you've come down with an illness or injury or, or, or something like that, where you, you can't do two of the five or two of the six daily functions, you're covered. And the government covers you because you bought this plan and it's a, it's a private plan, but you, the government mandates it. So it, it's very interesting. The, the Japanese governments kind of put themselves as, as leaders in the, in, the, in the developed world, whereas we came out with the coverage on a private basis. It's not mandatory, obviously, in our, in our, in our Canadian culture, but um, it did come out 20 years ago. It came out in Canada 20 years ago. And then when it came out in, in, in Japan, they made it mandatory. And I just look at, you know, most of our population now, um, you're hearing more and more Alzheimer's walks, dementia, dementia uh, awareness. And I, I did, I pulled up some stats and there's in Ontario, 64% of all long-term care residents have dementia or diagnosed with dementia. So this type of coverage, if you've got dementia, it, it, you may still be able to feed and dress yourself and get out of bed, but your, your faculties aren't quite there. This is coverage that will take care of that for you and you're, and you're not using your retirement savings. So um, we, we looked at this, 
many times over. It's obviously, it's a lot cheaper to get this type of coverage when you're, when you're in your 30s. Um, if you wait till you're in your 70s, it can get costly, but it's still there. And it avoids you, you draining down from your, from your resources. I looked at, I looked at a, a quick quote. I did a 40-year-old, or sorry, a 50-year-old male if he wanted $300,000 worth of coverage. So similar to my client that spent $300,000 on, on care. And it was about $150 a month to have that coverage. So about half a percent of what the actual benefit would pay out um, is a small price to pay in terms of a premium um, as, opposed to, as opposed to using your RSPs like Don, Don and I were talking about earlier with taxes, you'd have to pull out about 600 grand out of your RSPs to fund that $300,000 cost. So strongly encourage to sit down with, uh, with all your listeners or with all our listeners to review uh, your financial plan with your advisor and and make sure that it's stress tested for something like this like a long-term care we are planning your financial future i'm scott thompson don fox and jay llewellyn are here from fox group private wealth management donfox.net to find out more or you can call them at ig private wealth management at 905-972-7420 gonna pause for a bit take a quick break we're coming back You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Understanding inflation is the lesson right now, Don, and I guess this is a good time to be taking this class. Yes, uh, we are hitting it. For this is something we again we haven't chatted for so long, and it was only a couple of years ago we we're talking about deflation, how dangerous that is, where prices are going down. So here we are, inflationary, and really, what inflation is, first of all, is the decline of purchasing power of a given currency over time. So one individual made it said, inflation is when you pay twenty dollars for a ten dollar haircut when you used to get when it used to cost five dollars when you had hair. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's inflation. And if you look at some of the McDonald's or so far, if you say, well, a Big Mac used to cost 50 cents and now it's like $3. And again, it sneaks up on you. I always call it kind of the cancer of a portfolio because it slowly erodes your purchasing power and what your money's worth. And so you have to invest properly to, to make sure you're okay. So it, it was interesting. What is the purchasing power? Well, if you went back to 1913. Now we're talking a long time ago, okay? And so they were talking 108 years ago. A dollar then is worth three cents now. Wow. Hmm. Okay. So you would have to have a lot of dollars to get the same kind of purchasing power. And again, I know there's you know ups and downs, but it just and we had the 80s where um, inflation was 13 percent. But again, nobody thought inflation would get back over four percent. And I know uh, last week it was 4.7 percent. Yeah, And so it really was a, a sign of the whole pandemic because what they did, and, and this is U.S. stats, and I'm sure Canadian are similar, they, they had a year over year how much money was injected into the economy. And normally it runs about 3% in a bad year, like in the 1980s, and it was like 12%. And so during recessions, we'll see people... It'll add some funds. So during the 08, 09 crisis, it got to about ah, maybe 10% at tops. 
it they put in 27% during the pandemic. 27% increase in the money supply in the US. Hmm. And so by doing that, there's so much money. It just flushed the whole country full of money to get through this pandemic. But as we talked about earlier on in the show, that could affect inflation, which it has. So with that, you're seeing housing prices go up, the stock markets go up, everything has been going up. You you go to the grocery store, particularly or gas prices, you see that going up. Well, it's a double whammy. Not only have they added a ton of money to the economy, they've also lowered interest rates. So by having low interest rates, it allows people to borrow a lot of money too at very, very cheap prices. That also fuels inflation. So you got both horns of inflation going at you by the government throwing money into the economy and lowering interest rates. And so with interest rates at virtually all-time lows, it looks, it, you know, the average person's um, increase in net worth, and this is U.S. stat, but again, Canada, as we can see it here, went up 18%. So your net worth on average went up 18% in the last year. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, housing prices have gone up 30% alone. And that's part of your assets. The stock markets are up 30%. So and in general. And so, yes, everybody feels real rich right now, which also adds to inflation because they say, well, look how much money I have. I'm going to go out and buy more Christmas presents this year. I'm going to go buy stuff. I'm going to take trips. I've been saving like crazy. Plus, this whole pandemic's been a bit of a drag. It feels good to do stuff, which, again, all this adds to inflation. So CPI is a measure of goods and services. That's a consumer price index. And that's what they consider the measurement for inflation. So what investments, if you're to invest money, what is a good investment that protects against inflation? First of all, hard assets do. And those would be things such as land. Land, if, if inflation goes up, land does well. Commodities do well. Um, we saw lumber go up. Uh, nickel and copper, potash, fertilizer, that type of thing. Um, commodities go up. Real estate has been a pretty good hedge against inflation, except for REITs, real estate investment trusts, because they are, when inflation go up, goes up, in, um, so do interest rates normally, which means these REITs are heavily in, um, they're leveraged. So there's a lot of debt in these, and therefore quite often their servicing costs go up. So REITs actually can go down. Um, equities often do well. Um, energy stocks do well. Financials, the banks do well. Industrials do well. Interestingly enough, technology stocks often don't do well. So those have been the hot areas in the last couple of years, but they often get hit by, uh, by inflation. And also utility stocks don't do very well. So you're, you're looking at uh, currencies that do well during inflation. Uh, Canadian currencies and Australian currencies do well because we have a lot of energy stocks. We have a lot of energy and oil producers in our economy, which as, as does Australia. So our currencies are actually do very well. We saw this in 08, 09, when there was the uh, recession in that point in time. We came out of it quicker. So well, I, I came across a client not long ago, and he was very heavy in technology. We're talking about 80 some odd percent. He lo it looked like a hero right now because in 2017, it was the best performing sector. In 2019, 2020. But in 2021, in the summer, it was the worst performing sector. And now it has moved up the grid a little bit. But at the end of the day, trying to pick a sector is so risky. And the technology stocks are already fairly aggressive, as they are, because you'll see them at the end, the bottom of this grid. 
saying they're the worst performing area. And you'll see them at the top. And for that matter, you see energy stocks three years in a row, 2018, 19, and 20, they're the worst place to have money. Oh, guess what was the best spot to have it year to date? They are up 51% this year. Mm. So again, it's it's a guessing game. And this is why you need a, a properly diversified portfolio to not only make sure you don't get caught up in the whirlwind of which is the hot area, but also to protect you against your own spending and everything else, but mainly inflation protect your portfolio. You should, and I'm sure your financial planner has already done this. If not, get a second opinion, make sure you are protected against inflation. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Jay Llewellyn have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. To find out more, donfox.net, or you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905-972-7420. Another great show, guys. Thanks so much. We'll chat again next week. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Good, good to chat again this week. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.